0: Kiki Sokolakis.
1: Kelly, what's happening?
0: I was just heading on over to the tweeters. Um, Twitter, I don't know. I, I'm like an old man where I'm going to talk about tweeters.
1: Well, the, 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 oh, the older boy. part is that you put a the in front of it.
0: Heading over to the tweeters. We're doing the tweeting. We're doing the tweeting. Uh, looking at a tweet from Wayne Pollack about a PR nightmare for a local Minnesota company.
1: Oh, please tell me more.
0: So Children's Theater Company, which is a great local theater, made a boo-boo with their legal PR and had an employee who sued for sexual harassment. Jury came back and said, yes, you, know, you deserve this particular amount of money. Children's Theater decided that they were going to file a motion to get the attorney fees back against that person who, who won the suit. Not a great public thing to do to ask for some of that money back. So people were not super happy.
1: I'm sure the Twitter mob did not like that one.
0: Yeah, more than, I think more than the Twitter mob did not like it. But the big boo-boo was that Children's Theater then put a statement on their Facebook page and then removed it after the outrage happened. Like, hey, we're justified in doing this. The Minnesota law, quote, makes it clear that the prevailing party shall be awarded its cost by the court. And people were like, yeah, just because you can doesn't mean you should.
1: Needless to say... Children's theater ticket sales are down.
0: Uh, Kids going there on Friday. Hopefully it'll be great.
1: What is your kid going to see? Matilda. Matilda.
0: Yes. By one of my most favorite authors in the world, Roald Dahl.
1: Ah, yes. Uh, What are some of your favorite Dahl books?
0: Matilda. What is some of yours?
1: (laughs) Um, I was big BFG, Witches, Danny Champion of the World,
0: Danny, champion of the world.
1: James and the Giant Peach.
0: Oh, such a good one. You know what Roald Dahl and our guest today have in common?
1: You know what? I was hoping that you might have some idea about that.
0: <laughs> uh, they're both British.
1: Oh, there it is. You found a way to work it in.
0: There it is. You're a true pro. We have decided that on every episode of Lunch Hour Legal Marketing, you either need to sing, or I need to do an accent of some sort.
1: Well, I appreciate that contribution because you're, it's you're very good at it.
0: Well, thank you. That was more my my like Cockney version of a British accent. So, um, just high society to... next time. Yes, next time I'll go there. Anyway, I'm super excited to talk about our guest or talk to our guest today. I should say, what do you think we're going to talk about,
1: Key? Dahl.
0: No, we are going to talk about PR and branding and what big firms are kind of dealing with in the legal space that might be different than small firms, might not be. We'll see.
1: Fantastic. And with that, dear subscribers, we welcome Becca Harding with Salt Whistle on today's episode of Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. It makes
2: a go round it makes a round. Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing with your hosts, Key Sakalakis and Kelly Street teaching you how to promote, market, and make fat stacks for your legal practice here on Legal Talk Network
1: Kelly, are you out there?
0: I'm out here. I was just waiting for you to say something.
1: And I did it.
0: And you did it. And now we can let our guest say some things everyone. We are joined by Becca Harding, the founder of Salt Whistle, which is a business development, marketing, and communications consultancy firm in the UK. And without further ado, Becca, will you tell our guests a little bit about yourself?
3: yes oh it's lovely to to be talking to you today and um, i appreciate the invitation yes yeah, so I, I work with professional services firms um lots and lots of lawyers but i also work with accountants and other other professional services as well like digital agencies and so on but um i spend an awful lot of time with lawyers and um probably have more lawyer friends than most normal people then <laughs> you'd like. no i would never say that <laughs> No, I know lots of fantastic people in the industry. And I, I really enjoy the work that I do. I, I get out a lot. I travel a lot seeing people. I do a lot of speaking to lawyers and a lot of listening to lawyers, which I think is more important, actually, some time and listening to what they um, they do with their firms and what they want to achieve. So um, I, I really enjoy it.
1: Yeah, that's, a, um, that's an area I think we just can dive right into because you've had a lot of experience really – globally with listening to lawyers what's on lawyers minds these days what are they talking about
3: well it it doesn't matter where you go and uh, i've been right so since november i've been to sydney auckland new york brussels um i'm going off to amsterdam and singapore in the next couple of months and i'm talking to small medium-sized and large firm lawyers everywhere they're all saying exactly the same things so, recruitment and finding good people is a real issue, particularly with rounded skills, so that they have um, the potential to go on and become partners. So, often they're very good technically, but trying to find people that will bring in the work and rainmate for them is very difficult. And can develop clients as well. They're also really concerned about AI, artificial intelligence. So I was at a conference in Israel, in Tel Aviv a few months ago, was talking to uh, somebody from a small Polish firm. And everything he was saying was exactly the same as I've heard in the UK, that he's worried about the impact that AI will have um, in terms of his clients going forward that he's going to lose some of his basic work um, and what that's going to mean to him financially and his firm and and sort of also trying to keep on top of the developments because you invest in new IT and then it's out of date. So what are the best programmes to invest in? How do you keep your network up to date so that it's going to be functional over the next few years? The other big issue that people are facing is um, keeping up with business itself, even small businesses now have been pushed to becoming global um, if you look at me I'm a global business I'm a small business but I'm global and with that pressure it's going to mean that lawyers themselves even in the small firms are going to have to have more experience on, in the global scene so just sitting in your hometown thinking oh this will do is not going to be um, really help you in the next sort of five to ten years so, that means that even small firms are going to have to join global networks, get to have contacts in other countries, learn from people in other countries, and build up that case file of experience that they've built up abroad. So, for example, in Amsterdam, I'm talking at the Legal Link Global Conference, which is a international network with lots of um, small to medium-sized firms and they are working with each other to put together joint pitches um, looking at cross-referring work to each other so that they can build up that experience of working in a global um, sphere and also to be able to offer that service to their clients as well as all these businesses become global. Another thing that's affected people is the move to digital communication. So clients are inundated with messages through digital media. How do you get your clients to hear you? How do you get them to be aware of you? It's a complete sea change in the way that firms are communicating. So it always used to be the seminar and the newsletter and all the traditional things that I did when I first started working with professional services firms. Those things have had to be rethought and relooked at. And and I think clients, uh, you know, my clients and the law firms that I work with are really struggling to get their heads round how to do that and how to make the most of digital uh, media in the professional services field. Another area is innovation and that that is for me that's that's what real marketing is about it's not just about sort of fantasy stuff in the future and maybe we'll do that one day. Real innovation is is what real marketing is. It's looking at the needs of your clients for the future, what they're going to want and actually come up with solutions for them and for the way that you and your firm are delivering those solutions to your clients. And, and I think an awful lot of law firms and lawyers really struggle with innovation. I think on account of confidence, confidence in their own ability to create. And also then people tend to be naturally risk averse. So they don't want to try things that might have a huge amount of risk attached to them. But actually that risk is where real developments are coming now and where the future will lie but it's it's sort of weighing up risk versus you know doing a proper analysis of that risk so that you know in a way that it's a safe risk does that make sense so you've actually thought it through and you thought well actually the gain here is so great that it's worth taking this chance on it
1: Right, exactly. It's quantifying that risk.
3: Yeah, and it's quite a difficult thought process for a lot of lawyers. So, you know, sometimes it's nice to have creative people in there with them, helping them look at things differently and helping them with that process of innovation. Yeah. Another area that people have really struggled with is is the aggressive competition and the fact that there are a lot of lawyers and how do you compete in this, aggress- uh, this sort of overly aggressive marketplace, I think. A a friend of mine, Tim, he's a lawyer, he's a corporate lawyer, and he went to see an in-house counsel. And he'd put a pitch in, um, responding to an RFP, um, a request for proposal. And he went into this in-house counsel's office and said, oh, what did you think of our proposal? And the guy had a pile on the side of his desk of about 25 different proposals all piled up He's, and he looked at my friend Tim and he said I have no idea which yours is he said they all look the same and he really couldn't tell them apart and I think that was a real lesson to Tim in in how to make yourself stand out in such an aggressive marketplace wow and that also comes back to marketing and sort of how you differentiate yourself And how differentiation now is very different compared to how it was some years ago. So one of the exercises I often do with law firms is, um, you know, everyone has those little strap lines that under their their firm name um, about, you know, we are um, trustworthy and reliable or something like that. And... You take all those away, take the the brand name away, take all those strap lines and put them up on a board in front of a bunch of partners from all sorts of different firms and say, so can any of you work out which is yours? And they rarely can because they're all so similar. Oh, that's so good. (laughs) And that And that is differentiation, is like, what is it that you're saying about yourself that is actually different? And it takes quite a lot of courage, again, to say something that is genuinely different. So, and I was very interested when I was in New York, because I went to see a a small firm on Wall Street. And I absolutely loved them because they... They had no pretensions. They weren't trying to get into the whole sort of we're cutting edge. You know, we all these things that everybody's saying when you go on any website at the moment, they had basically written that they only recruited lawyers from college. They weren't looking for the people that had performed the best at law. They were looking for people that were the best with people that actually were human beings, that had something about them. And and that in itself was such a great message to clients because it's saying, you know, we want to be part of your family. We want to be real people for you, not pretentious not artificial not saying all the things that are so predictable in the marketplace at the moment and their whole website reflected that and their strap lines reflected that and it's probably the best bit of differentiation that I'd seen in a law firm for a while so I I really liked what they'd done but does that make sense that sort of differentiation and, and and having to really find something that is completely different about you. And I think that, again, is going to become more and more important in the digital age because it is so easy to say, yes, we do all the IT, we do the cutting edge stuff, we're, we're bland like every other firm <laughs> out there. Whereas actually what people are now looking for is something human in amongst all that digital. And and there's something within marketing that everybody's talking about, and people may have heard of, called tribalism. So if you look at things like Facebook and Instagram and what's happening just sort of in general media people are joining groups that they believe in so for example at the moment the climate change is a massive issue in the UK and we've had lots of demonstrations I don't know whether you've seen that on the news in the US but it's it's been absolutely massive in London and people are joining that tribe it's something they care about And that is something you can harness within the professional services sector so for example a firm that i work with in brussels they have gone completely paperless they absolutely have no paper in their office at all because they take green issues so seriously now what that's done is because they can promote themselves it's differentiated them in the marketplace and what it does is draw in younger people in business that feel as strongly as they do about those issues. So they're differentiating on an issue rather than saying, well, we're as good at law as everyone else and we're as good at client delivery as everyone else. Uh, because actually, there probably isn't a lot of difference between the way a lot of people deliver. True. So how, how do you make yourself different?
0: And that's how they've chosen yeah. to do it. You know, Becca, that makes me think of I that's a really good example and something that is so real and tangible because you know, we we do hear from our clients at the agency and from just lawyers that, you know, Guy and I know and speak to is it's like, oh, well, I, I stand up for my clients or I do this or I do that. Or I also offer business advice in addition to the just actual legal IP work that I do for companies but having something where it's like hey actually one of the things that sets us apart like you said is the um, going paperless or one of the things that sets us apart is being virtual. Gina, I just spoke to a woman who has a started a firm where they're 100% virtual and that is all that firm does and if you want a non an in-person experience as part of your she does estate planning, then she refers you to her other firm that she has where it's in person, but you don't work with the virtual firm. And just kind of doing those other little things that you can think of to set yourself apart. I, I think that's really important other than just personality or kind of the lawyer based thing, setting yourself apart more on business or ethical decisions.
3: Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of things I'll come back on that. I think really people, your clients expect you to give them business advice. They expect you to be good at the law. They expect you to deliver a solution for them. Trying to use those as selling points doesn't work. That's what they're paying for. So to sell yourself and differentiate yourself, you need to be giving them something more exactly as you just said. That's the bit that takes you to a different level. And it's finding those things that take you to a different level above and beyond what a sophisticated customer and these days people are sophisticated, they know what that's out there in the market and they know what all the other firms are offering. So you've got to go above and beyond what all the other firms are offering. In terms of the virtual, I mean, we've um, had a firm actually very local to me that's just set up as a virtual firm. Um, and, And that really appeals to a lot of younger people in the marketplace, particularly young people setting up their own businesses who are dashing around and they're much more used to the digital environment. And so that for them is much more comfortable not having that human contact because actually that reflects the way they are communicating in their everyday lives. However, something else that I've encountered is that from that, you get a lot of young lawyers now that don't have the skills on the telephone. So we're running courses right way across the country and in other countries on how to use the telephone because young people are so frightened of picking it up because they completely communicate digitally now, which I, think, I just think is fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Okay. Speaking of telephone and not, well, I mean, I, I think I'm actually fairly good on the telephone as a millennial but I have said, I think on on a different interview on this podcast, that I have a pretty hard line that I generally won't work with a business unless I can make an appointment online. Just yes. because the calling and maybe not getting a hold of anyone and then or the, you know, the intake phone call, it's like if I can just pick a date on online from my calendar that I know works I can fill out a form I'm happy to fill out all of the information that somebody needs and I am reliable I will stick with that appointment but I just want to be able to make the appointment online instead of having to call and you know possibly get put on hold for minutes or that sort of thing and it's one thing that law firms are starting to do more and more but is definitely another differentiator. And, and something that I'm, I'm seeing them do more and more is just kind of embracing that technology. And also, you mentioned AI earlier and innovation. That's another one of those things that it's just kind of all wrapped up in there. <laughs>
3: Yeah, well, the funny side the thing is that the flip side of it is we you run courses for the youngsters, like I mean, really young people on how to use the telephone. But the older partners, who the ones running the firms, utterly lack confidence in anything digital, <laughs> and so they're finding it very hard to make decisions about some of the IT and some of the things that you're talking about. So it's quite an interesting situation at the moment with these two groups of people with very different IT experience um and and doing those sorts of forms and those things um they're fantastic. I mean I, I do everything online now. I mean because it means I can work at any time, which again I think is a much more modern approach that a lot of business people are are taking. That they're they're far more flexible in their working hours. And I think businesses are really far more flexible and I, I firms have to keep up with that in the kind of provision they're giving people to to approach them and to communicate with them. So again, that's where I AI comes in. But in terms of of helping the partners are often the managing teams of these of firms and they don't have the same it experience as some of the youngsters one of the things we've done is set up um, shadow boards within firms so that you have a bunch of younger either younger partners or manager level who can input into decisions about the firm that have uh, a much more interested in IT, in, in sort of innovation around AI, and can support the actual board of the firm in making these decisions. And of course, what you're actually doing then as well is bringing people on from a succession issue. So you've got people who are then can move into taking over the firm as older partners retire. So it's kind of solving quite a few of these issues. Yeah I I just think that dealing with this whole AI issue and and bringing firms on is going to and just how you do that within the firm and the communication within the firm and the decision making within the firm is crucial in bringing AI through and innovation.
0: Absolutely so just kind of thinking about all of the things you mentioned early on, and just kind of getting a more maybe diverse team. I know you're you're talking a lot about creating winning pitches. Is one of the things that it specifically lists on your on your website that your firm does. And I've I've kind of found over my time and working with lawyers is that often they fit into these categories of being a lecturer because that's what they were used to in law school and in the lecture halls often. Storytelling, which falls into more maybe of uh, lawyers who are used to being in court, personal injury attorneys. They're used to kind of creating creating more of a setting and a story to everything they're talking about or the filibustering. And are, <laughs> are there... Um, <laughs> are there types of pitching that fall into these categories that are more effective or do you look at this completely different and um, (laughs) on and on?
3: Yeah, no, well,
0: I suppose uh, I suppose I look at it slightly
3: differently, really. I mean, the thing is, I also know an awful lot of um, very good actors who are lawyers as well. I went to see one of my clients performing quite recently. So I, I actually find quite a lot of lawyers are very good with language and very articulate and expressive, but sometimes need a little encouragement because they get quite used to um, to sticking to sort of contractual law and, and speaking in that way and to encourage them to, to be more colourful um, within the pitching process is, is great fun actually but I mean the real key to pitching is um, thinking about who you're presenting to. It's all about the client and this often gets forgotten what I usually see either in written pitches or or then going on to the presentation or even when you're pitching over lunch I mean this applies in any situation where you're you're trying to win work is it's all about me it's all about selling me the lawyer and my firm and there's not enough listening going on And not enough thinking about who the person is that you're pitching to. So, for example, you talk about storytelling. Well, if I was up in front of the management team of a marketing agency or a creative agency advertising or something, they're going to love the storytelling. They are people that work on pictures, on stories. They they want colour. So, if I went in with a whole bunch of figures and facts and legal language, I'm probably going to lose them in the first five minutes. If I go into an accountancy firm who are looking for a lawyer and I start giving them storytelling, you know, and colour and pictures, I'm going to lose them in five minutes because what they want is evidence, facts, figures, and more of a sort of lecture, you know, more of a. A lecturing approach, but what I would say with all of it is asking questions, even when they're in a pitch situation, and getting it to be a two-way conversation is so important because it makes the client client feel that they're being listened to and understood. I mean, it's amazing what you can do, particularly with your market research as well, if you really put the effort in. So you can find out a huge amount about people. For example, at one pitch recently. I discovered that um, one of the main guys in it had been a professional tennis player when he was younger. Just by looking online. So we started the pitch talking about his tennis career. And he was so chuffed that people had gone to the trouble to find out that much about him. Instead of just standing there going, my firm was set up in you know, this year or whatever. And we do this. It, it was all about the client. And that was really exciting for him. Another firm I was working with, we managed to find uh, well online, I managed to find the CEO speech to his staff annual conference. And in it, he listed all the things that he wanted them to worry about over the next year and to put time and effort into So all the objectives. So we use those objectives to create the presentation and the written pitch that we put together. So we based it around their objectives. So your objective A is and we can help fulfill that objective by doing this for you. So they could then go through and go, wow, you know, they're actually helping us do what we need to do to report back with it internally for us. So can you see how it's that listening and really paying attention to your client that is singly most important thing that you can do in a pitch situation? And it's not really
0: about you at all. Yeah, absolutely. I think about how, um, I'm kind of thinking about how this would apply to more solo or small firms, and I can see how that fits in for business attorneys and maybe even estate planning or those type of practice areas. But can you think of more for like personal injury or criminal defense firms, how finding out more about their clients or um, kind of some maybe some tactics for for that sort of a pitch or I guess in the consultation phase to try to win that business again it's about really
3: listening and understanding your client I think again I would say it's always about people love to talk about themselves and they love to feel that they are understood whether that's in a business context or a personal context, being understood and feeling that there is empathy there and understanding from a lawyer is going to be far more powerful than anything else that you can deliver for that client, and and that will set you apart. And if you talk to clients, because I often do client, you know, I ring round clients just to say, well, what do you feel you had from your lawyer? What what was it you liked? It always comes back to well, I felt they really understood me. I really liked talking to them. I felt that I was talking to a human being. It, it, it is that empathy always that that wins with people. And I don't think it matters whether it's a small a small firm or if you're just a partner out for a lunch with somebody you've met and you're networking listening to them, talking to them about their problems. And and actually, when you start to chat to somebody about their problems, it can give you an opportunity to demonstrate your knowledge without having to sell because you can comment straight away and say, well, have you thought about doing this or would this help you or, you know, a way to approach this is X, Y and Z. And that demonstrates what you can do very quickly, but it's doing it from the client's point of view so they immediately feel an association with you they feel a kind of bind to you and they feel that they're already receiving help so they start to feel a commitment they start to feel a loyalty to you they feel they've got a friend they've got someone they can talk to people will say that they buy for all sorts of reasons But essentially, those human motives and that emotion is far more of a driver than a lot of people will actually admit to in the buying process.
0: Yeah, it's easier to say afterwards that you chose someone for some rational reason. But really, in the beginning, it's like, oh, they actually listened to me or they seem to understand my issue. Yeah,
3: absolutely. And that is why people buy that is people buy people in this business you know they the the brand is a great framework for you about what you stand for and the kind of values you stand for but people really want the person which is why it's so important to recruit the right people within your firm that share your values and share and are similar types of people to you that you can go out as a cohesive front to the world and say you know these are the types of people we are here we're going to listen to you we're going to be good to you we, we want to be you know somebody that helps you and generally makes you feel good about what's happening we're going yeah, to take yeah. the stress out of this for you um, and, and people very rarely admit Within business or in the personal lives, quite the depth of emotion that they experience in what is often a a stressful situation when they're dealing with lawyers. And even in, in business, you know, if it's litigation or whatever, or in personal life, even worse, if it's personal injury or criminal or whatever, there's a huge level of emotion in there. So having that lifeline thrown to you by somebody who seems to understand is incredibly important at that point yes
1: i'm kind of curious just about tactically whether it's specific platforms or you know beyond you know and and i understand that uh you know this is why uh, we all have businesses is to help lawyers be able to communicate in ways that their clients uh, understand and understand how they help Tactically, what are you seeing working most for lawyers? You know, whether it's a platform or a specific strategy, or even if you had some examples, maybe of firms that you think or lawyers that you think are doing a great job of this.
3: You you mean in terms of AI or or digital? Yeah, I was seeing more just digital communication.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know in the terms of messaging, where you're you know you if you can share um, whether it's clients you've worked with or just lawyers you've seen out in the marketplace that you think hey they've really adopted this empathic. Uh, approach to their communication with uh, understanding clients?
3: Well, I think if you're looking at digital, I think uh, and doing much more sort of general suite rather than on one-to-ones. Uh, LinkedIn can be fantastic if it's used well. And I see it used very badly a lot of the time, actually, where people have put on very lengthy, rather dull articles that, to be honest, don't get read uh, Um what I've seen work very well with um, partners who have really presented themselves well and built their profile up publicly is by doing very human pictures and human relationships and, and showed a side of them that isn't just business on LinkedIn. But photographs are in huge, hugely powerful and show... very different person but can also be very good at demonstrating what you're capable of so within psychology there's something called association which is where if you're seen with somebody else you're almost attributed with being in the same sort of status having some of the same attributes and so on so if you show pictures of yourself with interesting people People by association therefore attribute some of their qualities to you. And if you think very carefully about the type of other people that you're seen with and whether it fits with the type of person or type of firm you want to be seen as, it can really enhance your profile as a human being and as a person. So, for example, say just going back to the green idea, because it's off my head. If you were to be associated with firms that are doing a lot of work or business people who are doing doing a lot of work or somebody in the community who's working on green projects that sets you up then as being somebody who really cares who's bothered about these things and again it's building on your human the fact you are a human being and not just a business person a lot of people now focus on building their profiles and if i can talk just quickly a bit about brand and then come back to the profile because it'll make more sense Brand has got far too big within professional services, the way I look at it is that the brand is, it should be like a picture frame. So, and all the lawyers are inside in your firm. So it's there to make you look good, to show you off to your best. So just as it would a piece of art. So if you've got an old fashioned piece of art, you're not going to have a brand new modern Picture frame around it. You have something that shows it off to its best, and that's exactly the same as a law firm. So your brand should represent the type of people you are, what your firm stands for. Where it's got to at the moment is that the brand has become the picture, and all the little lawyers are hanging off the picture frame. If that makes sense, so that they're not as important as the brand itself. What we're now what people need to be moving back to is the the solid fact that has never changed which is that people buy people. They want to know what your set of values are and what your firm differentiates itself out because that helps them look to where to find those people but what they want to know is, is who are they going to be working with and so by building up your profile as a human being and thinking about what your messages are. So you you do a plan like you would for anything else. You think about how you want to come across, what your key messages are, the tone of the material that you want to do. Are you going to be humorous or serious? And again, that goes back to your brand. Do you want to be known particularly in any niches or for any issues? do you have any particular positions that you can um you know on committees for associations or trade bodies something that you become identified with that is perhaps different to other things that people are doing and use those opportunities to photograph yourself to do video clips to make yourself look a human online so you become a real personality rather than just another lawyer putting something out about the latest bit of tax legislation or or something, um, it's, it's about becoming that human being so that people feel that then when they come across you or that they might be tempted to ask your advice, they, they're talking to a person, a real person. And I think people have, over the last sort of, particularly during the 90s and the 2000s, this idea of brand became so overwhelming that I think we forgot a lot of the basics that people buy people. And I don't think that will ever change And I think putting that in a modern digital context is really important.
0: What a perfect note to wrap up on. I have so many more questions for you, but I know we have hit our end time. Gosh, I I would love to just keep picking your brain because you have so much good information here, but I'm so delighted that you could come on and share all of your knowledge and years of experience in working with law firms of all sizes.
3: Oh, well, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. It's been fun. It's been really good.
1: And Becca, for those listeners that would like to continue the conversation with you, how do you prefer people connect with you?
3: Um, You can find me on LinkedIn or um, my website is saltwhistle.com. So they should be able to find me there as well.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to share that wealth of knowledge with us. And as always, listeners, if you found this valuable, please don't hesitate to check us out on your favorite podcasting tool and leave us a review, positive or constructive. And if you'd like to participate in the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a wonderful day.